0: dream clientele with Roger Chen So my guest John Henry sold his first company went on to found co-found Harlem and is now doing a bunch of really interesting stuff and so I wanted to get him on the podcast to share a little bit about what he's about his background and what drives him so welcome to the podcast
1: Cool. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Looking forward to sharing some experiences. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we just stepped out of this big party that (laughs) you're hosting or not really? Not really. So what what happens is I'm in a space now. The energy is
1: is great because there's three accelerators running out of here. Oh, wow. So there's FoodX and UrbanX. And a little context about those because they're rather new in the game. But who's not new in the game is SOS Ventures. Mm-hmm. So SOS Ventures is a pretty well-known VC fund that is founded by a guy named Andrew Ive and I think Sean Sullivan. They're in, in there right now. But so they totally switched up their model and they're like, yo, a lot of great companies are coming out of accelerators. Let's sponsor accelerators. Yeah. So they spun up a food-based program and UrbanX, which is a city-based program. So they're there and they're having like their mentors night because they just kicked off their cohort. Oh, okay. And what's what's great about it, though, is that as you can see, when we're in there, it looks like you and I both know a lot of the people that were in there. And mm-hmm. it just it speaks a lot to the New York City tech ecosystem as a whole. You know, if you play long enough in the space, you get to know the players. Yeah, you get true. to know them as from as they go from one company to the next and the next. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's take a step back because yeah. I think, we're you know, we, we fast forwarded to the now. But yeah. this funny analogy that I was thinking about. So I went to Wharton with the guy who was on this TV show mm-hmm. hosted by Damon Dash called okay. The Ultimate Hustler, <laughs> and and basically the, it was like the Apprentice, but yeah, yeah. you know for VET, right? yeah, yeah. And uh, and he was a Japanese dude, which is interesting. <laughs> and so. I feel like if you were on that show, I've no doubt you would have won compared to compared to all those other guys. <laughs> That's funny. And that. probably predates you a little bit, but I feel like that speaks to all that you've done at such a young age. Oh, so yeah, I want to yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So I want to like rewind back a little bit to understand where you were at in life, in mindset when you created your first company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my story is a bit—it's fairly unorthodox. It's not traditional, but I think one of the most important parts of my identity is is being a first generation born immigrant. My parents hail from the Dominican Republic and they, they came with you know nothing and they came at an older age too. So it was difficult for them to learn the language and their skills didn't translate. And so as a result, they worked really crummy jobs. and So we were always like either in the projects or like the worst parts of towns. Um, and we had a very intact, thankfully, family life you know our mom and pops were always there and it was a very loving nurturing neighborhood but we grew up with not so much and with that said though you know I guess I would always look across the fence if you will at at my peers who seemingly had it all and you know I'd be upset with myself or even I guess secretly in hindsight with my parents like fuck like why can't you know I have my own room for instance or like little simple things sure and then I learned as life goes on that pressure makes diamonds. Now you okay. take the same dirt and you refine it and the diamond emerges. So I was born here but raised in Florida. And then long story short, I fell in love with guitar. And anything I do, I do quite passionately. So I became really entrenched in jazz guitar. And I, after graduating high school, I came to the city mm-hmm. with a goal to be the world's greatest jazz musician. <laughs> and so while awesome. going to school for jazz... I was working a gig as a doorman to kind of Mm -hmm. help make ends meet.
0: Yeah.
1: And that is where things started to get interesting. I always say opening up doors for people opened up doors for me. And
0: I think, I think (laughs) that was, yes,
1: literally the most interesting lesson I feel that I, I learned from my parents was that my pop said, Hey John, anything you do, do really, really well. Mm -hmm. He said, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And my mom was a custodian, you know, she cleaned toilets for a living, and my pops was a presser and a dry cleaner in a sweatshop. Mm. And so they didn't do great jobs by any means, but they did that that job really, really well, and they took pride in their work, and there's a lot of craftsmanship. And so as a result, when I was a doorman, I was the best doorman you could find. You know, I learned your name, your kids' name, your pets' names. I would have everything ready for you. And I feel and what I've learned from my experience is that having this type of attitude Life merely reflects to you what you present to it, and so through there, I developed genuine relationships with these residents, and then eventually I got my first business opportunity from a resident
0: wow that's uh that's like the most positive uplifting story that I've ever heard and <laughs> may ever have on this uh, this this podcast so so talk about you know briefly the the first business and how how it came about from from that resident. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, going from a musician to, okay, now you have a gig as a doorman and suddenly, okay. You know, what gives you the, uh, the cojones to, to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to run this business now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, I think, uh, an important thing to understand or to at least, um, uh, make clear is that I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. I didn't know about venture capital. I didn't know about the lean startup method. I didn't know any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I feel, you know, I think what I was attracted to was the fact that I didn't do well in a workplace environment because I was so creative and always looking to offer insights. And when they were shot down, as they were, oftentimes the the reasoning was ill thought out. Like it just seemed like people did things a certain way out of fear of losing their job. And so anyhow, that kind of disgust with the workplace breeded a love for finding some type of vehicle for expression sure. to, um, to, I don't know, do things my own way. And so the, the opportunity came through one of the residents who had built his fortune with a chain of dry cleaners. He was not a disruptive tech guy. You know, he was a, a pretty low key dude who just had a chain of dry cleaners. And he said, John, you look like a smart kid. Why don't I give you access to my dry cleaning facility mm-hmm. and I'll give you wholesale rates without wholesale volume? All you have to do is convince people out there to give you their clothes. You yeah. bring it to me, I'll clean it, you bring it back, and you make the difference. Yeah. What a and nice guy. What a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. But in hindsight, what a smart man because he was doing this with a lot of doormen okay. and turning doormen into little armies of uh, people that would bring him more wow. business. Yeah. And so, you know, effectively, it didn't take a genius to, to say, okay, so, you know, for this vest that I have on right now, it would, it would cost maybe $12 to dry clean mm-hmm. for a regular customer. It would cost me two fifty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. I can make almost 10 bucks on a single item. Yeah. And wild. a regular o- order as I knew from being a doorman is like seven to 12 pieces. Mm-hmm. That's money. And so m- kind of money was the motivation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That, that's sick. And mm-hmm. so, uh, um so how long did you end up working on the business
1: while the beginnings were very raw and the beginnings were very much comprised of um you know people talk about mvp my mvp was two hundred dollars invested into business cards a cheap suit and <laughs> shaking the hands of other doormen around harlem and say hey my name is john henry and i'm a doorman too and i yeah. know that you're the key to the building yeah and i know that people don't give shit about what management says they come to you at the end of the day so if you can refer a Resident to me, I'll slip you 20 beans because I know that that's what moves them. Yeah. And so I started gaining clients this way. And so it turned into like a multi-level marketing, like a multi-level marketing. And then something interesting happened through another resident in the building. Mm -hmm. I told him I was going to quit my job. He said, what are you doing? I said, a dry cleaner. He said, what? I was like, why? What's going on? He said, dude, I've been working in film and TV the past 25 years and I have yet to find a single dry cleaner that can meet our crazy demands because we shoot at 3 a.m. and all these guys are always closed. What are you doing tonight? Nothing. What time you get off 11. 11 p.m. He picked me up, took me onto the set of what became my first movie, which was The Wolf of Wall Street. Wow. And I met Leo and Scorsese. But more importantly, I met the wardrobe supervisor. That's sick. He asked yeah. me a bunch of questions. And finally, I find that I didn't know what I was doing, but that would have worked hard. And so time passed. He eventually gave me the opportunity to take up the business, did well, he introduced me to he said, hey, there's a new account in town, Boardwalk Empire, after that long <laughs> That's awesome. After Law & Order, Person of Interest, White Collar, Unforgettable, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Ninja Turtles, Barclays, Jay-Z. So I ended up dominating this niche. And I always say that there's riches and niches. You know, so we built out the business. Um, and then eventually, then I learned, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. That's what you call this. Yeah. Okay, I should hire staff. So we, when, once we made enough money, I had to put up a storefront. I hired customer care reps. We, we got vans and drivers. I brought in a creative director. We rolled out housekeeping and dog walking, mm-hmm. um, which in hindsight was actually a mistake because we expanded too quickly, but we learned fast. We took down dog walking. Then we then a year and a half into the business, we added a tech component and wow. we launched a web app yeah. and I brought in a CTO. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I entered the tech startup space. <laughs> so that's when I broke into the scene that we're part of now. Sure. As before I was just running an obscure business that was doing well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then, so two years into the business, there was a large private company that bought one of our vendors that we would wholesale out to. Sure. And then he was looking at the, their customers and saying, whoa, who's this guy is doing well. And all the other regular dry cleaners are slumping. Yeah. And he sat me down and he was really interested. So he made me the offer to acquire the company, that's awesome. thought about it, worked it out, ended up happening.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, the timing as well was, was amazing. because yeah. Right around then is, is when, uh, the funding for all of these dry cleaning startups was heating up, right? Exactly. You sort of stumbled your way into it with a hot commodity. Exactly. And uh, probably had a better setup than most of these other guys out there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and so, awesome.
1: as I saw Washio starting to make noise, and and Cleanly, I had heard of. They they hadn't yet raised. Yeah, fly. Clean. Cleaners. Fly was around. Clean Cube. It's funny we put up our storefront in the same building that they ever. Right. Yeah. Had, yeah which I thought was funny. And a it, cool guy. It, yeah. Cool guy. And Ryan too. It just seemed like a space that was like a me too space. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I carved out an, a lane in film and TV and I wanted to sell it off and cash out when I could because yeah. I wanted to put my chops to a different use.
0: Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, so when you think back and, um, and I, I like to ask founders this, do you have any regrets on, on selling at that time? Or do you think that, you know, you did what you set out to and now you're moving on to things you'd rather do?
1: Yeah. Zero regrets, man. I, yeah. I think, because I dropped out of college. I dropped out of college my first semester. And so. Wow. And so you me, were
0: at a, at a music school?
1: Yeah. Well, a, I was at BMCC, thing. but I was, it was like jazz. I was chat. gigging and stuff like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I feel like I got my MBA on the road. I feel like yeah. I know just as much, if not more, through, through experience than a lot of the MBAs and, yeah. and what have yous. So,
0: so are you an advocate for uh, you know that whole movement of screw school? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not not really. I think I
1: was at some point because like I was like, oh man, forget school. But but I see value in it. I see value in continued education. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that entrepreneurship can certainly be supplementary, if not a viable alternative. The one big critique that I have with school is that I wish students and I wish schools would advocate start just do something don't yeah. wait four years to then do something yeah. you can start now as a freshman doing your craft right yeah,
0: yeah. i think a lot of schools are, are starting you know to put together different uh institutionalized classroom setting stuff or uh within you know the organization creating yeah. a uh entrepreneurial there's a push for it. there's a
1: push for i think it's it still feels a little weird i'm some i'm sometimes involved with them like I'm, i'll go to city college mm-hmm. next week and speak and stuff but I think it's moving in the right direction.
0: Got it. Yeah. Cool. So what was right after that? I guess uh, you, you sold the company, you worked it out with them. Did they ask you to stay on and, and keep uh, uh, you know, the transition going? Or um, Surprisingly,
1: they didn't. Um, and the reason is that the company happened to have a pretty strong domain expertise in that field anyways. Okay. And so Makes they didn't sense. feel like they needed me. Yeah, and yeah. I was glad to hear it because... I just didn't really want to stick around. I didn't want to work for anyone. So, right, right. Um, so we let it go and they continue to operate and they continue to operate pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've been sad to see that they have lost a lot of the culture that I instilled. And, in, mm-hmm. you know, I cared so much about people. I was so people centric, you know, not only with the customers, but with the team.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I was so adamant about having this open, loving environment, if you will, and it's become a little bit more like a cash cow, which is sad to see, but but they're doing well, I think.
0: Right, right. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so talk about uh, co-found Harlem. Because you, for this whole business at this time, were you guys based in Harlem the, the entire mm-hmm. time? Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. And then the next thing was you, uh, I guess, wanted to give back yeah, <laughs> to yeah. the community, grow the community.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny because I've been saying that the past year. Yeah. And now that I've entered into a different phase of my career, which I'll talk about later, it's interesting because I've found that co-found Harlem really has given a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And so I'll put that into perspective. The The same day that we sold Mobile City was also coincidentally the first day that we ever had a meeting for co-found Harlem. Mm-hmm. And, and it just so happened. In, in fact, in the middle of the meeting, I got the call and I was like crying. I was so happy. It was a pretty cool moment. Um, <laughs>
0: what an awesome day to have. <laughs> what? It, was, it, was like, it was amazing. The best day of
1: your life. Right? Up <laughs> to that point. Up <laughs> to that point. Yeah. But it was going to be a meetup. We just knew that we wanted to foster the ecosystem uptown. There was a lot of activity, but there wasn't anything per se directly in startups. And a lot of the knowledge and, and common practice that is often seen downtown and in Brooklyn in some parts weren't seen at all uptown. Mm-hmm. And so we felt that we could bring that to Harlem. And it was super interesting over the course of the past year because Harlem has a pretty tough old guard. You know, there's like a lot of, you got to pay your dues, boy. You know, there's a lot of, and it became very real. the more traction and reputation renown that we got, the more the old guard grew resistant. But the more the new wave of Harlemites embraced Mm -hmm. us. And so it became a very interesting political. That's crazy. You
0: know, what does the old guard, uh, what do they have? They don't have anything to do with what you guys are building, they, right? They don't, and I guess because Harlem is so incredibly
1: significant in terms of history, culture, mm-hmm. civil rights, um, style, food. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a beautiful one of a kind place that's yeah. known internationally. Sure, uh, we get tourists from all over you come just specifically for Harlem. The only local brand I think that in the world that rivals Harlem is perhaps Brooklyn.
0: They need to get a, a fashion accelerator up there. And, Yo, you know, that's they, a good they idea. They have their whole you know, vibe up there, mm. and uh, you have the city vibe, and they have accelerators down yep. here working with Parsons, yep. right, XRC Labs, but yep. they should get a branch up there. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like uh, I agree. Yeah. I think that'd be interesting. Yeah. And uh, so, anyhow, I don't know. So
1: it's it's set out to be like this uh, meetup and because I had a little bit more runway and time on my hands, I knew that I wanted to do something greater. Mm-hmm. And so it just evolved. I actually learned a lot from the guys at Grand Central Tech okay, um, because we were interested in their no cash in, no cash out model and how they just like have free rent.
0: With a big family
1: uh, <laughs> with some <laughs> well, pockets. We, we learned much later that that was like a big part of the reason they were able to do that. But actually talk about, talk about ignorance being uh, bliss. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that the reason they were able to do it is because they had, you know, backing from the Milsteins. So we set out to do it and we were able to do it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I ended up pitching a great real estate company in Harlem called Artemis. And I pitched them on the concept and they're like, makes sense. Companies are going to stay here Mm -hmm. and what have you. So, all right, we'll give you free space. And to give the listeners context, uh, the program ended up being, hey, we're going to give you mentorship, free resources, so 50K worth of free resources like Amazon, Cloud, SendGrid, all these uh, great resources. Yep. And we'll give you, um, and by the way, the mentors were legit from like Google, Mayor's Office, you name it, Amazon, Rap Genius. And we'll give you free rent, free office space for nine months. Mm-hmm. So we we'll give you all the stuff and in exchange, we take zero equity. The one commitment that you have to make is to stay in Harlem mm-hmm. for a period of four years after the program.
0: Within an Artemis building? Or anywhere.
1: Nope, with anywhere in Harlem. Hmm. And Artemis is such a large stakeholder in Harlem that they were <laughs> okay with it. Yeah. Um, and we were we set up as a nonprofit to drive the point home. Business wise, it makes zero sense because people would ask us, "Oh, how are you going to make money?" We'd always come up with clever ways to read the, write the conversation. Sure. But it became pretty apparent at some point, like, "Fuck, we got to make money somehow," and this is not a model that's sustainable. But it was so audacious and bold. And the yeah. narrative was so compelling
0: from a do good perspective.
1: You can't beat this. <laughs> you can't beat it. So, so that's what co-found was. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Is. Yeah. Is. Um, and so you guys finished up the, the first batch and um, uh, I guess you're, you're taking a mini break from, from that uh, putting it on pause for a second or. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, so
1: we finished the cohort. Uh, we had four fantastic companies that we work with throughout the course of the nine months mm-hmm. um, and varied, we had. I think strong results for a first-time accelerator. One of the companies failed. One of the companies raised capital. One of the companies hit profitability, and the other one's kind of an incubation phase. Yeah. So it really kind of runs the gamut. Um, I learned so much. You know, a sample set of one is simply not enough to really understand how to run a company. Right. So working with four companies at once was incredibly rewarding.
0: Yeah. And so do you think that... Um, you guys were too early for Harlem or at the right time, or is it just the entrepreneurial ecosystem still has to come together there? Mm -hmm.
1: I think, I honestly think it was right place, right time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that to me is validated by the amount of support that we got. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have the, the heavyweights, if you look at our board, to have the heavyweights that are on the board come on board, zero compensation, I mean, just three pretty much scrappy kids who had a strong, compelling vision and had enough of a track record to carry across that we could execute, gathered the support from those folks. We were able to raise some capital. We were able to get really strong mentors. Google came on board and supported uh, David Rose and Digital NYC and Gust, and we attracted great companies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we were able to attract to us all of the necessary stakeholders mm-hmm. simply because of how compelling the vision was and how passionate we were about it. And I'm, I'm super excited for co-found to continue. Certainly the ecosystem needs continued galvanizing. Sure. And certainly we need to get more people who aren't even thinking about tech, thinking about tech. A lot of the pushback that we got from old Harlem. Yeah. And justifiably so was, okay, so you're bringing hipsters to Harlem. Great. Mm-hmm. But what about... Rahim on the corner. Sure. You know, like how does he get involved? Because as far as I'm concerned, if you succeed, you may just be a catalyst for gentrification. Mm-hmm. And you may have all these companies doing great and what have you? And then the rates go up and, you know, displacement gets accelerated. Yeah. So, are you accelerating displacement? <laughs> and, you know, was, I mean, was that some of the old guard pushback? That was some of the that was a main old guard pushback. Yeah. And that was and truly of, uh, that's an interesting concern to dive into. I've been looking for case studies. If anyone listening has an interesting case study about like these urban renewal projects that have been Mm -hmm. effective in incorporating some of the originals into the, you know, these new wave projects. I'd be interested to hear about it because we've been working together um, with different workforce development programs and stuff like that, but it's a tough issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching uh, closely uh, the development in Detroit. You can see the sticker on my laptop. Yes. Yes. And so a lot of the civic leaders, uh, the governor, Dan Gilbert, who's making a you know huge play in the Detroit market. Nice. Um they they've been doing a lot in recent years to try and invest in startups, bring talent from outside, mm-hmm. grow talent within. And it's interesting because you're starting to see so I'd say that is like a few years ahead of where you might be with co-found Harlem. If yep. There were continued investments for you know the next couple of years. Got right? it. And then you get to where they are today. Got it. And there is a pretty big divide between the uh, you know the, the new guard and the old guard. Right? Wow. Huge divide. That's interesting. I was uh, at this event, uh, Detroit Homecoming, where they had the mayor. They had all these people give this presentation. Awesome stuff. All these great new developments. Dan Gilbert's doing all this great stuff. Brought all of us. Detroit expats, quote-unquote, back into the city to try and encourage investment, talent, and stuff to come back. Okay, awesome. All well and great morning session. Have lunch. We're meeting up at this next place. Call an Uber. I get in the Uber, and so I ask the Uber driver, I'm like, hey, how have things been here since Dan Gilbert showed up for the past couple years? I heard things have been Awesome. And he just 180 on he me. I was just like, this is, "No, absolutely not!" They're spreading lies in there, like uh, you know, all the neighborhood stores have to shut down because of this construction they're doing. They don't care about the neighborhood businesses. Oh, interesting. And so there's a, a big, big uh, rift, beef between the the two groups now. So it's interesting. Uh, That's what tends cool. to happen.
1: And so yeah. we'd be interested to see if we can somehow gap, bridge the gap between the two. So yeah that's, bit, that's the main thing that's on the radar with co-found right this minute. Mm-hmm. And going forward, one of the things that I like about our leadership is that we're constantly challenging ourselves and we're we're synthesizing our learnings and and asking ourselves, you know how can we improve our model? Is nine months a good length for a cohort? Is it too long? What can we do better? Yeah. Um, do we even like the accelerator model? You know is a studio model a better a vehicle for what we'd like to do is mm. workforce development more interesting is it more traditional VC what we'd like to do <laughs> so we're just um, we're certainly continuing to expand and we will certainly continue doing what we do but the vehicle may very
0: well be different going forward got it yeah I guess now we can move from Harlem, Uptown, all the way down to uh, Charging Bull. To the Charging Bull. <laughs> I got off at the Whitehall subway stop. Yes, sir. Walked out, all these Wall Streeters in suits walking around. <laughs> and that's, uh, so this is your new home? <laughs>
1: this is my new home, man. It's It feels weird for me to say that. But um, but yeah, so I've been recruited to direct a new program called Area, which is a real estate tech-focused Accelerator and Seed Stage VC. Mm-hmm. And um, hilarious acronym, by the way. A, a real estate accelerator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, and so, yeah, man, so I've been here like a week, effectively, a week, if even. My job is to design the program, source the companies, develop the partnerships, bring in the mentors that we need to bring in, and
0: run the program for, you know, couple of cohorts and see how it goes from there that's awesome yeah. I'm excited to uh to see where you take this I mean yeah. I have no doubt that the golden <laughs> touch it's gonna uh, thank you man it's gonna I'm nervous up. you know I I wonder if other founders feel this
1: or people out don't maybe you as a question I'll pose to you but have you ever felt kind of afraid like this pressure to live up to you know hype or deliver or you know what have you like i just i almost feel like fuck what if i messed this up yeah i'm human like <laughs> it's my first time doing this sure yeah. at this level you know what happens there
0: um well i think i think it'd be unnatural not to have that fear right right i think um this is going to be a weird analogy so since two years ago i've become a huge huge mma fan okay <laughs> that's awesome yeah i, I love it right UFC and all that conor mcgregor <laughs> and and the analogy is that you know the top champions, uh, this guy GSP George St Pierre, yeah, he was champion forever, right? Mm-hmm. He had this huge long string of of wins. He was a champion for a long time. After he retired, uh, pretty early in his in his career, some would say. And people asked him after he retired, like towards the end of your career, when you're going into these fights, you know, what were you feeling backstage? And he had all these backstage interviews that were released and footage and all this. And he was freaking out every time. Every single time, it was a new opponent. It was a new experience. He had done a ton of training. He had fought a ton of different people. In order to stay on his A-game, the expectations that he had for himself put him in a place where he was nervous, right? And I feel like if you are continually pushing the envelope, deep down, it's going to be nerves. You're carrying the burden of others who are going to be uh, enjoying your success with you, right? And someone's got to do that. You know, the, the burden that you carry that weight uh, sometimes takes the form of uh, nerves. Yeah. And so I feel like all the founders that I talk to, new ones, old ones, they all have nerves. And to your point, it speaks to the fact that if you are pushing the envelope, then you're going places where people aren't. And that's what entrepreneurship is, right? It's doing things that others aren't or haven't done yet. Yeah. Uh, you're going to be... You're gonna be a little nervous, but you'll be okay. <laughs> I, I believe in you. Yeah, awesome, man. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to. It. Yeah, happen for sure. That's enough of guess of the, the history. Would love to understand a bit more about John the man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we don't have a ton of time, but would love to understand. Okay, you're busy with all this yep. stuff. Do you have time for downtime? What do you do to recharge? You know, what's your what's your day outside of all this work? Yep. Um, I. Think, or do you not have any time? You know, time.
1: I am so, admittedly, admittedly, I am consumed with this notion, this concept of greatness, with a capital G. And it started with a book that I read when I was seventeen, uh, called *The Fountainhead* by Ayn Rand. Yeah, sure. And it just made such a deep impact on me, and. You know, to like it, to go back to sports, for instance, you don't get to be Michael Jordan because you played casually every now and again. Mm -hmm. You know, once he got rejected from his high school team, he didn't leave the court until he made 100 free throws, not shot 100 free throws because he was rejected because he couldn't shoot free throws.
0: Yeah,
1: he didn't leave until he made 100 free throws. So he ate, slept, breathed shit couldn't think about anything but talk about but basketball you know cut class like that's what it became his entire life and i would dare say that you know i'm very similar in the way i live my life you know i think my greatest fear is mediocrity and i say this non-judgmentally but some folks like they just you know they want to get married they want to have a kid or two and like have a well-paying job that um you know, sustains them and their families and like, that's okay. But I'm genuinely looking to make a deep and long lasting impact on the world around me. Mm. And I really don't think that that can come from having off time.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of people, they would agree with you. It sounds like you don't believe that you can have it all right where you can have a balance this balance that and still change the world, let's say. And so. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? You know, I, I think parts of me disagrees with myself too, but (laughs) yeah, you know, this is something I I struggle with. Um, totally candidly. A lot of my friends and when I say a lot, like two, (laughs) have created within a short amount of time, incredibly successful businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I'm married, I'm thinking about having kids in a few years. Yeah, I'm sorry. And no, 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 <laughs> this is totally cool. Cause this is something that I'm thinking about, right? These are the decisions that I, you know, I'm going to make that I'm going to stick with, but is there the ability, what does the support structure need to be like for me to still achieve something like what you're talking about, right. some world changing thing. Right. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a tricky business, right? Cause, um, Elon Musk, you hear mm-hmm. all that stuff about his family now, not to get into their man's business, but you hear a lot about the super successful people having to give up a bit of the rest of their life. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a struggle, man, um uh, to, to think about and, yeah, uh, and whatnot.
1: It is something I think about. And so to answer your question more directly, I'm a bit like a hypocrite too, <laughs> because at least since I started Mobile City in like two thousand and twelve till the beginning of this year it's been zero social life like all work 14 15 16 hours consistently might i say for those maybe 2 3 years what have you and then i i feel like coming into this year i did hit a point a little bit where i felt like i burned out yeah. i hit a point where like i i went 2 weeks even with just like barely checking email not going to the office with a total disinterest of work i didn't care about anything um, around the same time, I started dating someone who's lovely. Now she's there up on the thing, and oh, wow. yeah, and it's like <laughs> it's kind of reminded me that okay, dude, I'm human, you know. Like, sure, yeah. it, it feels nice to have a partner that you can confide in and grow with. Yeah. And so,
0: have you taken a vacation in the past? I have five not. years. <laughs> I have, no, I haven't. You got to get out of the country. I got to so. get out of the co-
1: I went out of the country. It was for work. It was for Aruba's tech conference. Okay. I went to go speak there. So nice. that was cool. Yeah. yeah, um, That's a nice spot. But, but you know, um, so I've come in, I've re kind of reengaged with, with that side of me mm-hmm. uh, and it's incredibly fulfilling, you know? And so like you, I'm thinking about, because when I look at the ideal man or woman, but I say man like to represent human. Um, I see someone who's balanced all, all across the spectrum. You know, mm-hmm. a great father, a great husband, a great, great at his craft. Can we be great at everything? I think so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's actually a fantastic place to, to leave off. There we, you go. Uh, right on time. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. If uh, people want to get in touch with you or want to find out about ARIA, what's the best way for them to do that? Um,
1: yeah, just hit me up on Twitter. Uh, my handle's at John Henry Style. So it's just the name John, the name Henry, and then the word style, John Henry Style. Um, Hit me up on there. You can also hit me up at jh at cofoundharlem.com. I'm happy to respond to any inquiries and
0: hope to hear from you guys soon. Perfect, man. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate it. Bam. Done. Supreme Clientele, it's all about having conversations with cool people in tech and entrepreneurship and elsewhere. If you'd like to follow us or if you'd like to be on the podcast, connect with me on Twitter at Roger B. Chet.